people will join a community where they know they're going to get their problems essentially fixed. And if you're not sure what they actually really need, just ask them. Are you wondering whether to start a free Facebook group for your business? Perhaps you already have a free group, but it's like a ghost town. No one ever posts unless you start the conversation. Maybe you already have a super engaged Facebook group, but it's just not generating leads and sales for your business. You could have a hundred thousand followers, but if you put a post out and you've only got 10 people that engage in, it means absolutely nothing. In this podcast episode, you'll hear from four business owners who've built successful Facebook groups that are generating leads and sales for their businesses. The only thing you need to do before you start a Facebook group is find one other person. Make it a place where people really like to contribute and Facebook will grow your business for you. You'll get practical tips on how to name your group, get more people to join your group and get your members to respond to the content you share. Plus, how to sell in your group without feeling sleazy. This episode has been created using content from my virtual content planning event, Courageous Content Live, and features speakers from the session on Facebook growth. You're listening to the Courageous Content Podcast. I'm Janet Murray, and I love helping coaches, creatives, and entrepreneurs create super engaging content that generates leads and sales for their businesses. No one starts a business and just knows how to create engaging content. It's a skill that has to be learned and practiced. And there's always something new to learn, no matter how long you've been in business. And I know running an online business can feel messy. Perfectionism, fear, self-doubt, and other mindset stuff can stop you showing up online in the way that's best for you. So you'll get help with that too. Ready to get courageous with your content? Let's get started. We're going to get started with... Uh, Asian Bride Sorority founder, Nishma Mystery. It's a membership for all brides planning their own Asian wedding. And she created it after seeing firsthand how stressful it can be when planning her own wedding with 550 guests. And that by no means is the biggest wedding that she has worked on. They provide both practical and emotional support and help to inject the fun back into wedding planning. So here with five minutes of fun, it's Nishma. I've been told numerous times that Facebook was the best place to create a community. It's a free platform. Most people generally are on it. But my audience essentially are not really hanging out on Facebook. They're not on Facebook. They don't regularly use it. And somehow I've managed to still create a group, which I think over about 10 months grew to about 1,200 brides. When I created the group was it was based all around like a home truth that Asian weddings in general whether you're Asian or not if you're planning an Asian wedding they're really stressful they're over probably about three four days with I don't know something like 20 30 40 different suppliers involved you have a lot of family friends that get involved it's a really stressful time so I built the group around the whole idea that there's so much knowledge out there when you're planning a wedding but there's no way for brides to actually share that knowledge with each other and there was nothing in the kind of Asian market that tailored to Asian weddings so I'd say one of the key things is try and build if you're going to build a group try and think about what is their pain point what is the one thing that this group is going to solve for them like what is it going to give back to them I sat on it for ages because I was like 
I'm not a wedding planner. No one's going to listen to me. I was in the wedding industry. People knew me, but for something completely different. And yeah, I basically just sat on it for months. And then the pandemic hit. And I kept thinking, what are all these brides doing that don't have wedding planners? And at that point is when I created it. So all of a sudden, I was creating a group that I knew well, I sort of didn't really know at the time, but I knew somehow I was going to help all these brides. I didn't have all the knowledge. I didn't know really what the pandemic was going to bring. I didn't know what the guidelines all meant, but I knew I could help people because I was a very sisterly kind of person. I have my own sister. So I was like, if I can be that to other people, then then it should be a great place. People will join a community where they know they're going to get their problems essentially fixed. And if you're not sure what they actually really need, just ask them. I always thought no that makes me feel like that makes me look like I don't really know what I'm doing but actually it really helped with my ideas Asian brides tend to go back to India or Pakistan to do their wedding shopping and so I knew that there'd be a whole bunch of brides that had no idea where to shop in the country so I decided to create a virtual shopping event and I got basically a whole bunch of supplies mobs so I piggybacked of all their following some of these bridal wear supplies had like 30,000 100,000 followers I essentially piggybacked off their following to grow my group because I knew that I was solving that problem for them they would I had brides joining because they didn't know where to do the shopping but the suppliers I charged them (laughs) to advertise essentially in my group and do a whole virtual show and tell around their stores and they all some of them got like 40 brides who actually booked their bridal wear from them so it worked really well when you're doing posts give them a chance to see where their common ground is. So for example, most Asian brides live at home with their parents and then they move to where the groom's side is. So I would ask them, where do you live now and where will you be moving to? And a lot of brides made connections just by that because they were like, I'm moving from London to the Midlands. I don't know anyone in the Midlands. Oh, can we be friends? Can we meet up? When are you meeting? And that alone really helps. So sometimes just simple things like, where are you based? can actually really connect people in real life. I've had people go on like coffee breaks and stuff together. We move on now to Josephine Hughes and a completely different type of group. She is a counsellor and a coach who helps other counsellors find clients. She's built an active and engaged Facebook group of 7,000 counsellors. She has a loyal following and was invited by Facebook to have a fancy badge, as she puts it, to become a power admin in 2021. I've got 7,000 people in my Facebook group with an engagement rate of about 90%. And although I'm a bit embarrassed about sharing this, I will share my business has a turnover of 50k. And I've built that mainly on Facebook with no ad spend. I've also got a Facebook page with about 2,500 people. I'm going to talk about both because there's a symbiosis between my group and my page. So the first thing I did was set up a closed Facebook group that would be a safe place for counsellors to be able to talk to each other because we don't like to talk about things too much in public because we're drawing our our clients from the general public and we don't want to do this thing we call self-disclosure. We tend to be quite private, so we need a closed group to talk. And in closed groups is where we talk about all the things that are happening in terms of our our businesses. We don't talk about our clients in there because of confidentiality. But the first thing I wanted to say about that is start before you're ready. So when I set up my Facebook group, I thought, oh, I'm going to need to have videos. I need to have content. 
And of course, what I hadn't thought about is the fact that your group will provide the content. I, I do live feeds, I do posts, I do a daily post. And especially at the beginning, what I used to do was I do a, a daily post. And the moment if one person, and it often was just one person at the beginning answered, I would then go in and have a conversation with them. And gradually I built up a head of steam in terms of getting people to contribute. So start before you're ready. The only thing you need to do before you start a Facebook group is find one other person and make it a place where people really like to contribute and Facebook will grow your business for you. So number two is you want to make it a place to contribute where people can get value from their Facebook experience. And every day I'll do a daily post. I have a theme that I do on a Monday, for example, I call it Missy Monday, Tuesday's Truthful Tuesday, just things like that that I do every day. People know what to expect. They know I'm going to get them to think and I will get them to tell me about their plans, what they're doing for the day, how things are going. And what I've found is that I'll get 20, 30, 40 comments, but there's lots of people who are reading the posts and might be lurking in the group, but they're still enjoying the group. And I get a lot of people, clients who contact me and say, I'd like to work with you. I've never said anything in the group. I won't know who they are, because they've never contributed to the group, but they're watching. And what I'd say is that I love to get to know people. And I think the success of the group is down to the fact that I do quite a lot of listening. I'll ask people questions and I'll have conversations with them. So that helps to make it a place where they want to contribute. And the third thing I just wanted to say is that it's your group. So put your personality in it too make it fun. You set the tone. You can have rules. And I try and make mine a very safe place where people can feel happy to make a contribution. And so that means that sometimes I'm a bit like Peggy Mitchell in um, EastEnders and it's get out of my pub. I'm not frightened to sometimes tell people, that's it. You're on your last warning. You're out. Because I want to, I have to think about the group as a whole. And in terms of my Facebook page, I've got this symbiosis between the two. So people in my group will ask questions in the group and I can then use that to create answers that I put in my Facebook page. And that will help me to attract more people. But also if I do a post on my page and I start getting a lot of traction with it, I will then put that into the group and get more people um, following my page in the group. So what I can do is people will see what I'm saying on my page they'll like the stuff as it's coming up in the group and then because they're liking on that post from my page I can then say to them please come into my and like my page so you can invite and grow your following on your page Mark Simpson helps Airbnb hosts thrive giving them the tools tactics training and most importantly the confidence to skyrocket their direct bookings and draw back from the over-reliance on online travel agents. Mark? I founded a Facebook group called the Hospitality Community back in 2016. So just over five years ago now. And it has always been one of the most engaged Facebook groups out there. We average about 90 to 91% engagement rate. And the engagement number is really key because the actual amount of members that we have in the group We've only got 5,221. Now, we could have 
over 15,000. But one of the key things that I have done from day one is I remove inactive members. Now, why is this key? Quality over quantity. It's not just a key for Facebook groups. It's a key for every form of social media that is out there. You could have 100,000 followers, but if you put a post out and you've only got 10 people that engage in, it means absolutely nothing. So one of the first things that I would recommend you do, and yes, it is time consuming at the start, but I recorded myself doing this task time and time again, and now I outsource it to a VA who does it for me. But every month, what we're able to do is you can go into the group on Facebook, you can go to the members section, and the beauty of Facebook groups is it will tell you by hovering over their name the last time that they engaged in your group. And what rule of thumb that we created is that if you haven't touched a group for two months or 60 days, then you're out. As I was listening back to this episode, I wondered whether you might find the advice here confusing. On the one hand, you've got Josephine saying that quiet members of her group sometimes reach out to her to say they want to work with her, even though they've never posted anything in her community. Then you've got Mark saying he removes people who don't engage in his group after 60 days. So which one is right? Well, the rather unsatisfactory answer is no one. When it comes to marketing, there are no hard and fast rules. So you can understand what works best for your audience. It is worth noting, however, that Josephine and Mark's audiences are very different. Without wanting to stereotype or make sweeping generalizations, Josephine's audience are generally counsellors who may be a bit more reticent at asking questions or making themselves known in the group because of the more confidential space in which they work. While Mark's group are hospitality owners. But like I say, it's not generally a great idea to rely on stereotypes or generalizations when it comes to marketing. You do need to try things out and see what works for your community. Mark does make a really valid point about removing followers to boost social media engagement. The way the social media algorithm works on most platforms and also in Facebook groups is that the more people engage with your content, the more people will be shown your content. So if you're not getting great engagement on the posts you're putting in your Facebook community, then it may well be worth looking at removing some of those dead members, as it were. And this theory is definitely backed up by my interview with Janine Cummings, where she talked about removing followers on Instagram to increase engagement. I'll link to that one in the show notes. Oh, and by the way, someone did ask Mark if he tells people he's removing them from his group. He said he doesn't. If they really want to be part of the community, they'll message and say they've suddenly found they're not in the group anymore, at which point he apologises and adds them back in. But let's get back to his tips on engagement. What I love is what Josephine mentioned before, is that she's got themed dates. We have very similar theme days. So we've got the Monday check-in. I keep it hospitality related. So we've got the Monday check-in. We've got the Tuesday rant. And I'll circle back to that in a second. We've got the Wednesday wins. We've got the Thursday social. And Friday's a kind of free day. So the Tuesday rant. And because this is a closed group, and for anybody who's ever worked in hospitality before, you will know that there are a number of factors that really will pick off, whether it is guests or um, staff, or online travel agents, Airbnb, as I like to call it. So what we did, and this was a a member of the community all those years ago, 
uh, she recommended this. She wanted to come in and have a rant. And ever since then, we've done it every week. And by having a structure to the group, I feel that people know when they're coming in the group, they know what is going to be happening. So whether you share a win on a Wednesday or a rant on a Tuesday. And the final tip that I want to give to everybody is as soon as you have people join your group, get them on your email list as soon as possible. So what I have and I created was a lead gen. So as soon as anybody joined the group, we created a little welcome post. And in there, it was, thank you very much for joining. If you want five steps to more direct bookings, click on this link. The trick is, is to get people onto your email list as soon as possible and get them off of Facebook. And I am the prime example with this. I've been on Facebook since 2006. I had over 12, 13 years of of Facebook profile on there. And Christmas of 2020, my Facebook account was locked out and deleted. Never found out why. And by having an email list, and I was able to get a large majority of people over to the email list, I was able to start up again and I was able to explain people where all the new things were and all the new links were. So it's really important. Don't build your house on one person's land. Don't put it all on the land of Facebook, just like you wouldn't put it all on TikTok or wherever. Get people on your email list so you can keep in touch and you can keep that activeness. And now we move on to our fourth speakers because we have a double header. Joe and Zoe support bookkeepers to start and scale their bookkeeping practices and take their place alongside accountants. Uh, they ensure bookkeepers who need support and accountability are able to charge their worth and build businesses which work for them. Hello, I'm Zoe. We met when we were running our own bookkeeping practices and the thing that we really, really missed was a community. We'd go to events and then we would get really excited and really motivated to grow our businesses and then we'd go home and feel completely on our own. So that was the reason that we started a Facebook group together. We wanted to grow a community that could support one another. And we thought we'd share three tips with you that we've used to grow our group. The first tip is to be really niche. I think everyone's probably going to say this. If you're really focused, it's much easier for people to find you. But what you'll find, whatever your niche, and I think that people will think, well, there's already someone doing the thing that I want to do. What you need to do is put some content in that group that is so valuable that people talk about it in other groups. So what we do is we stream the bookkeepers podcast into our group and people then talk about that in other groups. And we also, because we're streaming it live, we encourage people to join that community. We talk about it on the podcast and things like that. But if people come into the group, they're able to ask questions live on our podcast, which I think is a real bonus, a real benefit of being part of that community. So be focused and put some really valuable content in that group that people really want to get access to. The second tip is to make it really searchable. So we've called our group the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club. We want to be able to be found for those kind of keywords like bookkeeper. But what we've also done within our title is we haven't just called it the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club. We kind of want to tell people exactly what to expect. Now, not everyone who joins us wants to grow a six-figure business. They'll have other goals too. But it's pretty obvious if you come across that title that we are there as a group of aspirational bookkeepers. So if you've got any kind of goal for your business and you're a bookkeeper, hopefully it's the group you're going to join. But what we also do is we put keywords in there. So there are a lot of professional qualifications that you can take if you're a bookkeeper or an accountant. So within the title of the group, we actually put those qualifications. So it's like Six Figure Bookkeepers Club. And then we've got AAT, ACCA, ICB, which are the professional body qualifications that you would get. 
The other thing that we've been doing is using, like Josephine said, using the power of Facebook to grow our group. There's an admin section. It's called admin tools in Facebook. And there's a section there that says grow group. Now in there, you can set some preferences. So location, gender identity, age range, languages. But the one I love is the member of other groups. Now these have to be public groups. These have to be open groups. So I go along and join lots of public groups that have got my audience in there. And then I can add that to this list. And it means that um, if they're members in that group, Facebook will show our group to them and say, you should join this group. This is where you need to hang out as well. So it only works for public open groups that you're in, not for closed groups, or private groups. But we've definitely seen an influx since we've started using this. We ask a few questions when people join. And one of them is, where did you find us? And lots of them say, Facebook suggested that I should join your group. I love these tips from Joe and Zoe because one of the most common misconceptions I see about building Facebook groups is that if you open a group, people will magically just find it, which sadly isn't the case. And if you want to grow your group more quickly, a more proactive approach may be needed. Here's Mark again. I went on to Google. I found a list of all of the guest houses in Scarborough and I found their Facebook page and I would send the Facebook page a message. It was non-salesy, it was non-sleazy. It was just a message saying, hey, just to let you know, there's a community for hosts just like you. Here's the link. I would love for you to join. And I would send five to 10 a day. I just kept on doing it for about six months and that massively helped grow Another common question about Facebook groups is how do you sell in a group without feeling sleazy or scammy or your members getting upset with you? Here's Josephine with some wisdom on that topic. One of the things I find really useful about the group is I can do things like I do these posts where I get people to put their hands up. So I'll say I'm thinking about doing such and such who's interested and I'll do it maybe as a poll. I did it recently for a networking event. So I said, who, who can attend on this particular day? I had people say, yes, I can attend. So I made an event on Facebook and then I was able to add all those people who'd said yes and they got notified by Facebook that I was doing that event. So, you know, and they had the link to join and pay and, and all the rest of it. So I'll often just use it as a chance to just let people know that I'm doing something. Would they be interested? And they can just say yes or no. And if they say no, that's fine. But quite often they'll say not this time, but next time maybe. So that's how okay. I do it. What Josephine's referring to there is handraiser content. So this is where you get people to literally or virtually raise their hands to say they're interested in a particular product or service. It's a great way to get people interested in your product or service to gauge interest before you actually make it or sell it. Having run numerous free groups myself, I'd add that it's important to get members used to the fact you'll be selling in your group right from the moment they join the group. Otherwise, you can end up with a community of baby birds. And if you haven't heard that term before, it's a term coined by my friend Jessica Lorimer. She's a sales expert. And baby bird syndrome can occur when you give so much free content, so much free support that people get really dependent on you. So when you rock up with your paid product or service, people get fretful. They're angry. What's happened to all the free support and guidance? You've abandoned them. So in order to avoid that, it really is best to make it clear that you are going to be selling in your group right from the start. 
or if you're reviving a group, giving it a new lease of life, letting people know that you will be selling in the group going forward. Asking questions about products or services that you're looking to launch is also just a really great way to get feedback. Are you creating the right kinds of products or services for your ideal customers or clients, which hopefully you are gathering together in your community? Plus, and this bit's really important, if people feel invested in your product or service, if they feel like they've been part of the journey, part of the creation process, then they're going to be much more invested, which means they'll be far more likely to buy. So I hope you found this episode useful. It's been created using content from my virtual content planning event, Courageous Content Live 2021. Recordings of all of the sessions, including sessions like this one on TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and Twitter growth are available to members of my content planning community, The Creators Club. So if you'd like to come and join our community, I will put a link in the show notes. And by the way, both Nishma and Josephine are members of The Creators Club and have been for a few years now, which should give you some idea of the kind of results you could expect if you become part of the community and, of course, you do the work like they have. Would you like to create super engaging content about your business and do it consistently? If so, you need my Courageous Content Planner in your life. It's a gorgeous A4 desk diary that's so simple to use because it's based on my 4x4 strategy, which involves posting four styles of content four days a week. Yes, content planning really can be that easy. There's templates for daily, weekly, monthly, and annual planning, so you know exactly what to post, where and when, plus hundreds of ready-to-go content ideas and prompts. So you'll never run out of ideas for social media posts again and accountability trackers to keep you consistent with your posting. The Courageous Content Planner is both practical and pretty, with four gorgeous cover designs to choose from. So if you want to ditch the content overwhelm and you want a simple content plan you can actually stick to, head over to CourageousContentPlanner.com to order your copy today. for listening to the Courageous Content Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode on social media. That way, more people can benefit from the free tips and strategies I share. And be sure to tag me in when you do. I'm at Jan Murray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. TikTok.